pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Doctor, doctor. I'm screaming Here we are on a Wednesday morning at 6.20. And it is time now for us to speak with our favorite family physician, Dr. Stan Anderson. Good morning, Dr. Stan. Hey, Pam. Great to talk to you. Well, last week we had uh, said, you know, we were discuss some studies. And I think you found a good one that's going to share some uh, really good information. I know I already have questions in my brain, but we're going to talk a little bit about weight loss <laughs> and weight maintenance. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is um, kind of interesting because one of the real frustrating things is people lose weight. They go on some kind of a diet. So the two main diets are the low-fat diet, which is the traditional Weight Watchers diet, and then there's the low-carb diet. Well, what you're trying to do is you're trying to eliminate sugars, what we call the keto diet or the Atkins diet. People lose weight regardless of which diet they go on. But then after you've lost the weight loss, then you go into something called maintenance. Why is it that some people regain weight and other people continue to maintain the weight loss despite the fact that they're strict on their diet and they're careful about what they do? And so this was a study that wanted to answer that question. Why do some people lose weight and keep it off, and other people lose weight, and then they're really careful, but the weight starts to come back. It's a great question because, you know, I think personal experience, the maintenance part of it is the hardest part, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and part of it is is when you're in a weight loss program, what happens is is you end up having the accountability. You're going into the program in order to try to get this happen, and then you are trying to achieve something. So you get to a certain place. It is the process of working towards a goal that is a lot more active, but once you're at the goal, then you're not getting the kudos. You're not getting people saying, oh, you're doing such a great job. Oh, this is great. So that's it's a lot harder to maintain. You're absolutely right. All right. So what do we do? <laughs> well, this was a study that started to look at after people had lost weight. What they found was is that there was really no difference in the type of diet that people went on over a six-month period of time for them to lose the weight. So the diet wasn't as important. Then what they did was they were looking to answer the question, are the bacteria that live in our microbiome, that, that live in our gut, and the certain proteins that our body makes, can that affect your ability to sustain weight loss? So this was at Stanford, Stanford in California. And what they did was they found that certain gut microbiome proteins that are made by the human body and the levels of exhaled carbon dioxide. So in other words, 
when you are exercising, you will end up uh, putting out different amounts of carbon dioxide. And so they were simply trying to be very careful about monitoring that. So they took 609 participants who logged every single thing that they ate for a year. And they were, half of them were on the low fat diet, half of them were on the low carb diet. And what they did was they ended up monitoring by finding that certain microbiome ecologies and the proteins before they started the diet predicted whether or not they would be successful at maintaining their weight loss. And what they did was they measured the ratio of inhaled oxygen to exhaled carbon dioxide. So this is, um, it was a research study. We don't do this in, in real life just yet. But what they found was people that had a low ratio, in other words, that they ended up um, uh, not putting out as much carbon dioxide, they were more likely to burn fat. And so they would have done better on the keto diet. And the people who put out more carbon dioxide, they ended up burning carbs. So they would do better on the um, on the traditional uh, Weight Watchers diet, which is um, the uh, low fat diet. And so this was something that was um, pretty predictive across all of the uh, participants. Um, so it really begs the question, or it really gets us to answer: Is it possible that the reason why we have weight problems is overall related to the fact of the type of bacteria that we have in our gut. And this is the fascinating question. So what that means is, is that if we can change the microbiome, if we can change the type or the consistency of the bacteria that live in our gut, could we then make it so that a specific diet that we take would be more effective? And that's really the next phase of the research um, that they're trying to answer. So what they did was they ended up basically, they, they weren't changing the microbiome. They were simply trying to identify if you have more bacteria, what diet might be better for you, and that's the whole issue. One of the, uh, just a couple of data points that are kind of interesting, the more antibiotics that a person takes, the more likely it is that your microbiome is going to change. One of the things that we know is children. So the more ear infections that a child has had so that they end up being on more rounds of antibiotics, they are dramatically more likely to develop the disease of obesity when they are adults compared to children that have not had any ear infections. So the number of um, antibiotic rounds that a person has had to take dramatically changes the microbiome, the bacteria that live in our gut. And so an intriguing concept is should we be adding probiotics and are there any differences? We just don't know if there's any differences in, in different types of probiotics and their effect on whether or not you're going to respond better to a low-fat diet as opposed to a low-carb diet. So it's yeah. just kind of interesting. This.
kind of blew me away. Um, it's certainly changing what I'm doing now. I am now telling almost everyone that if they really struggled after going on a low-fat diet and they didn't maintain it, they would do better if they added um, probiotics for a period of time. We don't know how long you need to take the probiotics. We don't know what type is the best. What we do know is taking something may be that secret sauce to get you where you need to get to. Yeah, that was my going to be my question. And and explain what what is the difference or what um, <clears throat> with a prebiotic and a probiotic because I see them both. Yeah, yeah. Um, part of it has to do with where in the gut it's going to end up going to. Um, as of right now, neither of them are ready for prime time as far as in an effective treatment um, of trying to do. I would at this point, what you would want to do is you'd want to go with a probiotic with the idea that it's going to settle in the gut and it's going to end up making the bacteria healthy. The problem is is it's kind of like um, if you take a, um, a city and you suddenly bring in a million migrants bust from um, the border, where are they going to live? So the same concept. If you have your gut already has all of its bacteria and you suddenly put in new bacteria, where are they going to live? Are they? Is it densely populated? Is it sparsely populated, and in the sparsely populated GI tracts, it's a lifesaver. So there's no way to know ahead of time other than to simply say, if you ever take an antibiotic, you should take a probiotic minimum for about two weeks. All right. Lots of stuff there to digest, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you, Dr. Uh, Stan. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more fascinating things next Wednesday, okay? Thanks, Pam. I look forward to it.